Again, if you're visiting for the first time, we're glad that you're here. Uh, what we're doing this fall is we are looking at the uh, first five chapters uh, of the book of John. Now, what we've done so far, uh, if you're visiting today, is we've looked at what is known as the preamble, okay? Those are the first 18 verses. And for y'all that don't know the Bible very well, probably the most significant 18 verses in the Bible. Matter of fact, I've said that the church theologians looked at this passage for 300 years to understand who Christ, uh, who he is, exactly. And if he's who he says he is in our text, and you know it has everything to do with you this morning because our text teaches he's your God, he's your creator, he's your redeemer. Now, to deny the, the very central truths of Christianity, okay, this is at the center of it. To deny it, to, to not meditate upon it, really reduces uh, Christianity to making no sense at all. It really doesn't make sense. If Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh, then the Bible really makes no sense whatsoever, okay? And uh, it would be like um, reading a book, and you can't make sense out of the book, and then you finally find out that uh, somebody had pulled a chapter out of the book, and that chapter, you read it, and all of a sudden it makes sense. Uh, my wife is reading the, the book... Uh, well, we read it together. I, I say I read it. I listened to it on tape, okay? Uh, Gilead. I don't know if you've read that. I, it's uh, written, I can't remember her name. It's awesome. But she's, she's written two more novels that kind of are booted off the Gilead. And intro, characters are introduced. And so you, you learn a whole lot more about the characters in the first book by reading the other uh, two books. And so the, the doctrine of the incarnation make sense of life. Now, if you don't know what that means, incarnation, it comes from the word carne, flesh. It means this, that God became flesh. And we're going to look at that and see all that that means and all that that means for everybody here in this room. And I'm telling you, it means everything to everybody in this room because of what our text says about him. So it should be relevant to all of us uh, this morning. And so to um, deny this, or to refuse it, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to keep in the darkness that you're in. And I guarantee you, if you're not a Christian, you're here today, and you're not sure, you're here, you're open, uh, and you want to know who God is, we want you to know who Christ is. That's it. We always have unbelievers that are here. But I can tell you this, you know right now that the things that you're seeking are not fulfilling. Uh, you're just stumbling around in the dark. But the purpose of the incarnation, let me tell you what it says in our text. And I'm going to say this word out here. It's, it's a God word, okay? Glory. You ever glory? <laughs> I'll explain to you what that means in a bit. It'll make a lot of sense. But the whole purpose of the incarnation is that you this morning, if you come in faith and repentance, might look and gaze and behold the glory of God. And if that's not very appealing to you, if, that, if it's like, uh, okay, I'm going to try to make it make sense to you, but I might suggest this, then something else catches your attention. And it's not God. And whatever catches your attention, it's not him who's eternal, will eat you alive one day. All that self-glory. And you know, as a pastor, I, I, I so desire that you have life. 
We're all sinners. We're all screwed up. We're not here to beat people up. We're here to say, what are you not understanding about Christ's work in his resurrection? Right? So would you turn to the, this uh, first eight, 18 chapters. I'm going to read it all. Again, I'm going to concentrate on verses 14 through 18. I really want you to, but we're going to focus there. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light in the darkness, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now he was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth John bore witness about him and cried this cried out this is he that was he of whom I said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me and from his fullness We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen the Father. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And this is God's inerrant word. Let's pray and ask that God the Holy Spirit would make it alive to us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, these uh, words that you've given us through the Apostle John are too lofty to preach on. Uh, Lord, just to read them. Uh, We could close uh, our Bibles and worship and adore you and go home. But Lord, for some reason, you've chosen uh, little clay pots called men men and women, to proclaim your glory. For in this earthen jar, we have this great treasure that all of us who know Jesus Christ are simply to bear witness to the light, not be do-gooders or try-harders, but simply behold you. And as we look to you and see the glory and the burning glory of Jesus Christ who has given us permission and rights to be children and to to enter into the presence of God this morning, that that light would ever burn brighter in and through our lives if we know Christ. And Father, for those who are not 
believers today that they would see that at the depths of the heart, there really is not like. There's only opinion. Um, and really, they know down deep, I think, according to your word, that there's a kind of a darkness that's there, a sadness, a shame. And we all feel that sometimes. But Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that the word atone so far means to cover. You've covered our shame. And you've taken away a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Lord, would you do that this morning for those who don't know you, whether they've been members of Redeemer for a long time but never really met you, or whether they're coming uh, to hear the gospel for the first time today. And we ask it in your name. Amen. I'm going to take a guess. I want you kids to listen to me like if you're eight or nine years old. I'm going to take a guess that everybody in here has seen the movie The Wizard of Oz. If you're a kid and you've seen The Wizard of Oz, would you raise your hand? I've got some kids listening to me. I saw actually an adult raise their hand. So, <laughs> you, know, the, you know the song, uh, it's, uh, we're off to see The Wizard. The wonderful Wizard of Oz. Um, how's it go? Um, who was, who was, eh, because of the wonderful things he does, or something to that effect. You know, we're off to see the wizard. We're down the yellow brick road. And so here's Dorothy. She had a need, right? Dorothy wanted to go back to Kansas. Then along the way, she meets the straw man. He had a need. He wanted a brain. And then they run into the poor old tin man, who was already sweet. I like the tin man. It seemed like he already had a heart, but he wanted a heart, right? Remember that? Uh, and then there's the lion who uh, needed courage like we all need courage. Uh, but if you know the story, uh, they come <clears throat> at the end of the yellow brick road. And then there's an emerald city. And in the city, uh, at the end of the rainbow, that's where all their hopes could be fulfilled. Now, if you'll notice, there are a lot of biblical allusions there. They're like a road, an arrow road, a yellow brick road, an emerald city. Uh, but when they, when they get there, you know what they discover about the great Oz is that he's in his throne room and he doesn't want to be bothered, right? Remember that, children? And he's, he's uh, not only downright mean, <laughs> he, he's kind of scary. I remember as a kid, I watched that by myself one time. I couldn't sleep for a week. <laughs> Had that face. I'm the great Oz. And rather than giving those hopeless friends what they desire, you know what he does? He gives them orders, doesn't he? Y'all remember that, kids? Remember what the order was that he gave them? You, you go get the broom of the wicked witch. And then perhaps I might uh, give you a brain or a heart and courage, and I might give you a way back home. And, of course, I, they're perplexed, right? And so dutifully they go and they, they, um, they throw the water on the witch and through all these adventures, she dies. And, of course, here's an irony. is actually they freed all the wicked witches' servants, didn't they? they? They were in tyranny. And you'll see why that's a little bit of a twist here in a minute. But when they return, they discover that it's not enough. It wasn't enough for Oz, was it? He wanted more. And so in the midst of their disillusionment and their despair... There's this little dog named Toto. You little kids remember Toto the dog? And so Toto goes and grabs the curtain and pulls it back, and they discover, rather than the great Oz, they discover this, uh, this little old man who is not uh, powerful or wise, 
or good. Uh, and so once he gets discovered, the gig is up. You know what he does? He gives them snake oil. And, and if you remember the, earlier in the book, the, 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 the wizard was the charlatan. Remember that? Fortune teller. And so basically he says, well, look, you know, okay, so th- th- you've come to me, but you've already, you've already had what you need. All you got to do is look within. Just, just look within. And of course, that might have helped all the others, uh, the other three, but it didn't help Dorothy because she wasn't looking to look within. You know what? She was looking for a place to go, wasn't she? She was looking to go back to Kansas. She's trying to find a place to go. And, uh, and so uh, uh, he said, well, jump on my balloon and we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, you know, there's a lot of symbolism in this there. She's going to keep on believing in the wizard. And so she was willing to get on the balloon, and who knows where. I don't know if a balloon lands in Kansas or not, but it seems to me balloons just kind of go where they want to go. Now, let me tell you what most of you don't know. And I hate to disappoint you children, but the man who wrote the book was a man named Frank Brom. And Frank Brom grew up in the mid-1800s. He was born in the 1800s. And his mother and father were very devout, and I won't name the denominations because then you'll say, oh, he's knocking that denomination. They grew up in a Christian home. Now, whether he heard grace or not, I don't know, because a lot that goes under the name of Christian, and the reason a lot of you aren't Christians today is because you think it's about the Wizard of Oz. You, you think it's about works and going and get the wicked witch's broom, and then maybe, maybe he will let you into heaven. And, uh, but you know what? He cannot stand the idea of a wrathful God. He didn't understand that the essence of God's love is that he hates evil. (laughs) He has to come out against it, right? Or he wouldn't be God. And so he rejected this whole idea of the need for an atonement. And you know what he turned to? He turned to Eastern religion. And, And so you see a lot of the Wizard of Oz is really a satire against organized religion. It was against uh, this God who we think is there, this all-powerful God. And then later, the movie was produced by a gentleman named Victor Fleming, and he was not uh, in the Eastern religion. He was a modernist. And, uh, and so uh, he, he doesn't get into all religious stuff of it, but what he does, if you remember Dorothy, she ends up back in Kansas. You remember that she did end up in Kansas on her own? And then she's trying to convince everybody that's there but I was in Oz. There was a place in Oz. And you remember how they treated her? Well, isn't that sweet? If that's what you want to believe. But we know that there's only Kansas. And so the point is, they look behind the curtain. What they find behind the curtain? They find a God that many of you think is God. That's, you know how a lot of y'all think of God? That he's scary? That he's mean? And he's either all powerful and he's scary, but he's not good, or he's, he's really the nice, sweet guy by the fireplace you can sit with, but he's not all powerful, and he can't deal with the sickness that you have going on or the cancer, or your marriage is so messed up, or your life is so messed up, or the drug addiction that you have, or the sexual addiction that you have. And so you, you, you just buy right into the cynicism that we see in Frank Brahman, we see in, uh, in, in Victor uh, Fleming. But let me tell you what I want to do this morning in the time that we have together. 
I want us to peek behind the curtain that God allows us to see. <laughs> it's amazing. This great God of the Old Testament, he says, don't touch me or you die. It's also the same God who comes and says, touch me and you live. But it has to be that way, doesn't it? Now, I want you to think about something. If God is God, and He's holy, and He's infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably just, do you have any hope to stand before Him and go, man, I feel good about my chances of getting in? No, because I'm going to tell you, uh, He hates sin. And so, on, so, so we have a dilemma, don't we? If, we? if this God is the God of the Bible is true, He's holy and pure and lives in unapproachable light in this world beyond this world. And y'all, has everybody figured out you will die one day? You are temporal. And the reason we fear death in so many ways is because it's not natural and because Hebrew says that after death comes the judgment. Anybody here today feel good about standing before the God who's revealed himself in the Old Testament? who gave the Ten Commandments. But let me say this, and here's what you got to understand as we come to the points I want to look at. You have a dilemma, I believe, if the God of the Bible is true, which I believe he is, but he's not the, the God of the eyes who kind of maybe can make it happen but not happen, and it's just an illusion. No, he is the true God, and I want to tell you why I know you know that because the Bible tells me that you know that. The Bible tells me that every man and woman in this room has eternity written in their heart. If you ever argue with someone who's an atheist, not an agnostic, agnostics, you know, if you're an agnostic today, that's, the easy, that's what I call the easy religion. I, I don't know what I believe about God. What time's the ball game? But, but if you talk to an atheist, maybe you're an atheist here today, you, you know what? The atheist always argues against this God. Does that make sense? Because he's the only one who says, I am that I am. But, but I want you to think about, so we have a dilemma, but I want you to think about this as we kind of look at our points. Have you ever thought about the fact that if this God, who is just and pure, if he wants you to enter into his presence, have you ever thought about the fact that he has a dilemma? He's not like us who have opinions of like, well, you know, we need to do something uh, uh, for the people next door. We need to... Uh, you know, we need to do this, that, and the other. But you know what? I'm not getting off the couch to do it. I'm not going to make sacrifices to do it. But you see, what we have in our text is that Almighty God, to solve your dilemma, and I'm going to tell you this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you have a dilemma. You say, how do I know if I know Jesus Christ? Well, let me ask you, you who profess to be Christians, do you behold His glory? Is your life being transformed as you meditate upon that one simple truth? Or is it just like, yeah, I believe in the Jesus is God, yeah, that's good. But you don't meditate on it. It doesn't transform you. Then I doubt very seriously. You've entered in to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. So... <clears throat> So here, I just want to look at three simple points I think our text makes. And by the way, have you ever thought, I don't know if you read the text and went, wow, I'd hate to have to preach on that. 
That's just so deep. But here's the three things I want us to see that when we peek behind what we discover, that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's the first one. Number two is that Jesus, let me tell you, Jesus is the one you've always longed for. Don't you have longings in your heart? If you're 13 years old, don't you have a longing? I noticed a young football player. When I was in church, young man, I like to think about scoring touchdowns. That's what I thought about. I didn't think about the glory of God. I thought about me scoring touchdowns. Um, but isn't he the one? I'm not singling you out. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but isn't? But we all have these longings, don't we? Man, if I just get to play football at the University of Georgia, if I get to be the beauty queen, or if I get enough money, or if I get this boyfriend, I get this. I want to ask anybody here, how's that working out for you right now? Other than the fact that maybe you've been in love for two weeks. And you live in non-reality world because that's like the fading glory of the old covenant. Not, not your love done, but you understand, romance. Um, and that needs to be working. By the way, I've been married 38 years. Okay, I, I'm a romantic with my wife. I love my wife, but I think you get my point. Okay, so, and then the last thing is that Jesus reveals God the Father. Jesus reveals. But let me tell you, if you have no desire to know the Father, then this sermon won't make any sense to you because you're in darkness. And you'd rather have all the other things. The retirement plan. The European vacation. The kids who never misbehave. The, you know, the whatever it may be. So here's the first thing. Jesus is God in the flesh. Now if you have your bulletin, I want you to look at it again. Because this is an amazing statement. In verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only begotten son from, from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, to this point, we've been looking in verses 1 through 14. Uh, in this preamble, that we're introduced to the logos, the word. And what we've learned is that the word uh, was with God in the beginning. And the word was God. Uh, and nothing was made apart from the word. And we've learned that the word is the light and life of men. And we've learned that the darkness cannot overcome the light. When Jesus Christ died, that was the ultimate darkness. But, 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 but death could not overcome. And, but then we see that he comes into the world. But not everybody receives him. Some people are blind. They're dead in their sin. They don't see. And uh, some do. And then we discovered uh, that this, uh, this Logos, he comes to his own. And you know what he's talking about? His own, his own Jewish people. And, I, <laughs> and they rejected him. And I'm going to tell you the worst place to be. Let me tell you covenant children this. The worst place is to be near the truth. But not under the truth. To not testify, to know all these things, but you never testify to it. You know, because you don't really believe it. Matter of fact, it's hardening you. It's not transforming you. And, um, but then it says here in our text, and of course he's, the, the text told us before, that who, whosoever receives him, they have the right to become the children of God. You can become a child of God. Does that have a desire that you have? To be like a child, to know that he's going to take care of you. You've got cancer. 
Maybe you have terminal cancer, but he loves you. Uh, maybe your marriage is about to completely fall apart, but he cares about you. You're a child of God, and God is your father no matter what happens. But now we got to ask ourselves, how does that happen? And we come to this verse, and that's what it says about the Word. It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, is that not an amazing statement? I say, well, I know that. That's Christian doctrine. I know that. Do you behold that? So we come to Christmas time. And you know what everybody wants to do? Everybody wants to hang on to Christmas, right? Sweet, lovey, fuzzy things. The peace and joy and Jesus came into the world. And, but when you strip away, when you start talking to people, well, let me tell you, let's talk about that a little bit more deeply, that he is God in the flesh who came into the world. Then all of a sudden people get a little queasy about that, don't they? And the last point, we're going to see why. But, but you, here, let me... So everybody's singing these hymns. I mean, it's always amazing. You know, you listen, watch Home Alone, and they're out singing these unbelievable Christmas. They, they don't even know what they're singing. Can I, Hark the Herald, y'all heard that one? That's, that's in a lot of movies. In light of what we just read here, the writer meditates on this. I don't know who wrote Hark the Herald, but I guarantee you he meditated on it. But here's what he said. Y'all know this. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come. Offspring of the favored one. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleases man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel Hark the herald angel sings, glory to the newborn king, to the newborn king. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. God in that baby. Little town of Bethlehem, I won't, you know, y'all know that song, but one of my favorite lines of all of, all of Christmas carols is, Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Why? Because in God's timing, in the fullness of time, he sent his son, born of a virgin. Now, let me tell you this, if, you, if you're going to, well, okay. All right, you understand, at least, do you understand, I don't care if you, maybe you're 15 years old here, you understand that what I'm saying, if that's true, then, then, then you, you have to either move with that or reject that. You can't be indifferent about that. But let me explain that he didn't become Superman. Has anybody ever said, oh, well, of course, Jesus, he didn't, you know, he didn't lust. Uh, after all, he was Superman. And so what you do is you, you're, what you do is you take two natures and you put them in one person. Uh, but, but, but no, let me tell you, all of church history hinged on one letter. And the person who protected Christianity from all of us, from a heretic named Arius, was a man named Athanasius. So there's this great debate for 300 years as to who this person is. And I'll tell you what, the church almost became what we know as Arian, and that is uh, this word, homoousion, with an I in it, or ousion, without the I. Take out the I, Athanasius says. And what, what he was saying, what, what Ar 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 um, 
um, Arius was saying, is that he is um, like God. But what Athanasius was saying is he is the same substance. You say, well, what difference does that make? Well, let me tell you what the difference makes. What you have in Jesus Christ, and we read it in our confession. You can go home and read it and think about it, cogitate on it. You have two distinct natures, 100% God, 100% man in one person at the birth 2,000 years ago. The eternal son took upon himself a human nature and will both be God and man forever. And you say, well, why do he do that? Let me tell you why. Because the whole Bible says that in Adam we all sin. You're born in sin. You ever notice about how, how easy it is for you to sin? You ever notice that with a little two-year-old or three-year-old? You don't go, you don't uh, say, hey, quit being nice. You say, hey, don't bite. Don't lie. Don't be so self-centered. That's who we are in Adam. And that's the plight of us as human beings in it. But here's the amazing thing that the eternal Son of God took upon himself a human nature to live the life that we don't live, to experience the pain and suffering that we experience. He did 2,000 years ago, didn't he? The sorrow and the, the brokenness of the world. And so our text clearly teaches us that God became flesh. And it uses the word tabernacle here. And the reason it uses the word tabernacle is because that was the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament. And guess what? You could not go in the Holy of Holies. Why? Because the Messiah had not come. But now here is 2,000 years ago, God in the person of Jesus Christ, both God and man, to be our mediator. Uh, as it were, uh, not the, the, the God who says, like Oz, who says, well, go do something else because you can't do anything else, as we'll see in a moment. Now, let that sink in for a moment. When you wake up in the morning, you know who your God is? Not Georgia football. Not your wife, not your career, not your money. You know who your God is every day you wake up? It is Jesus Christ. And either you're beholding him and you're amazed at what he has done on your behalf or you're not. You wake up and you just go about your day and then when your world falls apart, you get mad at God. Why? Because your life is centered around all the stuff he told you. Don't center your life around that. And then your life centers around it. And it doesn't satisfy. The husband runs off on you or the wife runs off on you or your, 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 your stocks crash and burn. Who knows what's going to happen in the next six months, right? Year, who knows? And then you get mad at God because of all the stuff that your life centered around. Does that make any sense to y'all? No. Makes no sense. But you know what? You'll walk out of here and you go, okay, <laughs> boy, I'll do it. I'm an idolater. We all do it. That's the first thing. The Word became flesh. And I could read you all kind of creeds, but I want to move on. Jesus is God in the flesh. But I want you to see second, who is this God in the flesh? Let me tell you who he is. And here's the second point. And I want to say this to all of us here. That Jesus is the one that you've always longed for. Have you ever been disappointed by other people? 
Um, I do a lot of premarital counseling. I got together a couple yesterday, last night. And I know you've heard me say this, but you know, uh, I do premarital counseling. And of course, when you know they're all in love and I'm trying to explain things I know are going to come, but they, they don't get it, right? And so I have to explain to them the reason that you stand publicly before God and everybody else and take a vow. You ever heard the word vow? It's because you do not know what you're getting into. Am I right about that? Matter of fact, they call it the seven-year itch. You know what seven-year itch is when somebody figures out, oh, man, I want to be out of here. But usually the seventh year is when you go, oh, that's who they really are, and that's never going to change. I, I'm, I married you for what you'd do for me. But a vow says, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. Where do we get that concept from, ladies and gentlemen? Why in the world would anybody make any sacrifice other than what we read here? And what do we learn about Jesus Christ? The one you've really longed for, but maybe have not yielded to. Notice what he says in verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who came after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now listen to what it says in verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So what do we learn when we peek behind the curtain that Jesus allows us to look into? That God is not only the God who has to bring justice. I mean, would y'all, we don't like judges that don't judge properly, do we? Like, okay, we'll let you off this time. But wait a minute, he killed my child. Well, I gave him 10 years. Be out in five. And what are you going to do? You're going to scream, wait a minute, where's justice here? Right? Is everybody, we all know what that, because we're always the one that thinks we are the ones that get uh, sinned against, not thinking about what we do about other people, right? You ought to ask yourself sometimes, I wonder what I have done uh, to other people. But you see, so we know that's true, but here's the amazing thing is there's going to be a comparison between Moses and Jesus. And you see, God sent Moses. And what's very interesting is it says he sent Moses and he gave the law. Does that mean Moses is bad? No, he delivered Israel from Egypt. And you know what constituted Israel as a nation? Was the Ten Commandments. Right? And so God calls the people, and he wants to constitute them as a different people than anybody in the world, and he gave them the Ten Commandments. You know what makes you different? And let me tell you what makes you different is your righteousness. Anybody can fornicate. Do you know how hard that is? It's not hard, but it'll be hard. Why? Because you're doing what you do versus disciplining your life. All right, don't you want to be with people who, when you tell them that they tell you they'll be on time, they'll be on time? I, I do, unless I'm late. <laughs> then I always lie about it. No. Um, okay, so, so the, but you see, Moses came 
to give the law so that we would be a different people. But you know what? The problem is not the Ten Commandments, is it? Do y'all know the problem is not the Ten Commandments? I mean, not committing adultery. Would y'all say that's a good thing? Would y'all say that screws families up? Okay, but on the other hand, uh, let's take the other ones out there. So, well, I hadn't done that. Well, Jesus said, if you look on a woman and you lust, you've broken. Because I'm not interested in the external. I'm interested in the internal. And there are going to be a lot of people who will perish who never committed adultery when maybe their spouse did, but their spouse was broken and came and rested in Christ. But they didn't. They rested in the fact that they had never done that. And they lived their whole life angry and bitter. Why? Because they have never beheld the glory of God in Jesus Christ who came into the world to die for sinners. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're a sinner and you're going, man, I am so broken. There's nothing I can do. Well, welcome to Dorothy's world. There's nothing she could do to get back to Kansas. There's nothing you can do to get yourself into the presence of God. And the purpose of the law And the reason God gave Moses is because he lovingly wanted us to see our need for God to come as a second Moses and a greater Adam. So so do you see the the contrast that he gives here? I mean, this is pretty amazing because this is all history and you're part of this history. But if you notice, it says, for the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus. So Moses comes, external, he gives the law. The law shows you what you already know about yourself. What does everybody already know about yourself? I'm, I'm not very good. Well, the purpose of the law is to go, yes, you know what? And you, it, but I'll tell you this. I'm going to send Jesus. And you know what it says? And Jesus came. He comes. He's the embodiment of who God is. And if you need grace and truth, it's for you. But you know, it's kind of interesting. The shepherds were the ones who came. Not not the rich people. Why? Because they were poor. And who's going to come to Christ? I'm going to tell you, the only people who are going to come to Christ are those when the law has done its work. I'm never going to tell you to try hard to be good. I promise. If you're visiting today, I'm going to tell you, you can't do it. But I'm going to tell you this, that somebody had to. Why? Because God will not bend on his righteousness. And if you can walk out of here and go, yeah, that's fine, that's good, but not consider who Jesus Christ is, I'll tell you, you're blind. So there's this contrast that's here. And I'm going to read the contrast uh, by A.W. Pink. I want you to listen to this, and then I'm going to close. I'm going to close so you see the difference between Moses, law and grace, and Moses and Jesus? Jesus Moses delivered Israel, right? But he couldn't deliver them from their sin. <laughs> he couldn't take them to heaven, now could he? He could only take them to a, a dirt land. There's still a lot of dirt over there. Let me read this to you. I want you to listen to this. This is from A.W. Pink. And I read it last night as, as I was finishing up. I went, wow, i got to grab that so it's not written down. It's here. I want you to listen to this, and then I'm going to close, okay? Especially if you're going, man, I'm, I'm a terrible person, and I can't come to God. I, really, I'm looking for you, okay? Jesus is looking for you. I want you to listen to these contrasts. The law addresses men 
as members of the old creation before Christ came. Grace makes men members of a new creation. Are you a new creation in Christ? Have you been born again, born of the Spirit? Well, one of the, one of the signs of that is going to be you're just not always bothered by what everybody else is doing. And I just want to tell you something. If you have somebody that won't forgive you, I want you to know something. Quit looking toward them. And you look toward Jesus. He will never, ever not forgive you. Why? Because he's God. Why? Because he's a human being too. And he knows your sorrow. Number two, law manifested what was in man. The law, Moses. You know what's in man? You know what's in you? Sin. You know what's in your pastor? Sin. Grace, though, manifests what God, what is in God. You know what's in God? Love. He loves. Infinitely just, infinitely loving. I mean, how do you wear those two hats at the same time? Well, I'm not God. I can't understand that. Law demanded righteousness from men. Grace brings righteousness to men. The righteousness of Christ. Law sentences a living man to death. The wages of sin is death. Grace brings a dead man to life. Law speaks of what men must do for God. Right? Isn't that what the Ten Commandments says? Don't do this, don't do that, don't do, 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 don't do that, and do this and do that. It's not, it's not transgressions that condemn you, friends. It's, it's not that you didn't have an affair. It's if the person that you love did have an affair, but you refused to love them. Oh. And again, I, at the same time, I, you know, who, who can even begin to understand the pain? But Jesus understands the pain. He bore our injury upon himself. This is the gospel. This is the work of the Spirit. And how wonderful it would be free from not being able to forgive somebody. Would y'all all agree with that? I am free. But it only comes if you know Jesus. You know, I don't have time to get around to my wife's sin that much. Too busy on my own. I can get around to hers every now and then, but... Um, wrongfully law gives a knowledge of sin grace puts sin away law brought God out to men and grace brings men to God so here's God in the flesh and what is the glory of God and let me tell you the glory of God is that God was in the, on the cross shedding his blood for us I, I can't wrap my mind around that. Can anybody understand why he would do that? And here's the last thing. Uh, Jesus reveals the Father. He came so, he, listen, he, he came so that you turn your mind away from all these things that are hard, they're painful. And some of you might be going, Pastor, you're insensitive to me right now. I don't want to be. I promise you I don't want to be. I want to enter into your suffering, your pain and disappointment. I do as your pastor. But Jesus came, and as his minister, I want to do the same thing, to show you the Father. Now, <clears throat> you know, you can think long and hard about Jesus' love for you and his death on the cross. But what amazes me more as a father is that the Father loved us that much. God the Father. And anybody who's here today that feels like they're an orphan... 
And uh, I'm, not, I'm not what ought to be. Let me tell you, Jesus comes, and if you've seen Jesus, he says, he has seen me, has seen the Father. And what do you see in Jesus? I mean, why in the world would these people believe and transform the world if they didn't believe that Jesus is God? And there's a quote here. I, I definitely don't want to lose this quote. Yes. So why is it? Did they see he was full of grace and truth? It says this. Somebody, this is a quote from somebody else. They saw him... Saw in him virtues combined, perfection, full of grace and truth. Someone has put it this way. In Jesus Christ, they saw tenderness without weakness, strength without heavy-handedness, humility without timidity, passion without prejudice, power without insensitivity. So Jesus, the last thing, he came so that you might know the Father, that you might behold his glory. Now here's the rub, and then I want to end. Here's the rub. Why won't you believe this? Some of you just like being angry. It feels good. Some of you just, you, you like the pleasures of the world. Some of you uh, go, well, I really want to do what I want to do. So, but let me tell you this. The whole glory. Get this, the glory. Now, I told you I was going to explain the word glory. Some of y'all have heard me say this before. But do you know that all the stars and the planets, do you know they do what they're supposed to do in the universe? Why? Because they are circling around the glory of God. And because they do, they don't bump into each other. Unless God ordains it. And they burn out and they flame out. But you see, that means for you to know Jesus, to know the glory of God, means you surrender your life to Him and He becomes your centerpiece. And guess what? (laughs) A lot of us don't want that. We want to live our own little lives and have everything in our orbit. And we're controlling. We want this and we want that. But you see, the glory of God and what will captivate you for those who go, I have no, man, I'm empty. I'm, I'm circling around everything. Boyfriends, girlfriends, drugs, medications, pornography, whatever it may be. Let me tell you, Christ has come so that you might center your life on him. Now you, now, you might be asking yourself, well, I'm a Christian. And I understand what Hal's saying, but I kind of don't understand what he's saying. Let me ask you this. Do you behold his glory? If you don't, I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to be real practical here. If you get up every day and you never spend any time with God, I'm not saying if you do it every day or not. Yeah, I understand. That's legalism. But to wake up and go, this is God's word to me. And you meditate on it. And you think about it. And you hear what he says about loving your enemy. And you hear what he says about you need, you need to forgive even as you've been forgiven. And you're reading that. That glory begins to pour into you. How? By your mind. No, by the Holy Spirit if you're born again. And that weightiness begins to come into you. And the more you look at his face, the more you move toward him, the more you're in his orbit, the more weighty person you become. And you're, you're a testimony now, to Christ. Let me ask this. Is that happening in your life? I just, I just as a pastor, is he your glory? Well, if you've seen him, lift it up for you. I, I don't know how it could not be. Well, close on this. Uh, one of the commentators I read on this, <laughs> this is really good. Uh, I guess I ought to tie in the Wizard of Oz with this at the end. But we can, can we at least say that he's not the Wizard of Oz? He is able and he's loving. And matter of fact, he goes out after the witch and the witch kills him. So Dorothy can get back to heaven. 
or excuse me, Kansas. <laughs> that ain't heaven, I would think, but uh, no beach, no mountains. <laughs> but you know what? Jesus laid himself out because you couldn't keep the law, so you can go to heaven. One of the, one of the commentators uh, I, I read on this, uh, it was great. He talked about, uh, he read this German article about cowboy movies. Do you like cowboy movies? I like cowboy. I used to watch cowboy movies with my daddy when I was growing up. And uh, I always thought my dad was the hero in the movies. But anyhow. But it's, it's this German newspaper. And uh, <laughs> it was talking about cowboys. Uh, and how the cowboys, the, all the great cowboy stories were always the cowboy that came from out of town. You ever notice that? So he, here's some he gave. Um, High Noon with Gary Cooper. You know, he married Grace Kelly. And he want to go on his honeymoon? And so he's like, okay, good luck to you guys. I know the bad guys are coming, but Grace Kelly's my wife. And, but, you know, he got halfway down the road and he went, I have to come back. And he came back and saved the town. Couldn't do it without him. Everybody's upset. Okay, then you had the Shane with Alan Ladd. He comes in from out of town. The people couldn't do anything. The bad guys were going to get him. Jeremiah Johnson, Robert Redford, this uh, strange man that comes in from out and he saves the people. And then you have Unforgiven by Clint Eastwood. You know why those all resonate and all those are great cowboy stories? Because that's the gospel. He came from out of town to save you. Would you come to Christ this morning? If you're going, hey, I'm Dorothy. I can't get back to Kansas. Well, he's not some buffoon wizard. Snake oil salesman. He is the living God. And if you don't come, he's coming again one day and you bow your knee to him now or you'll bow it later. Let's pray together. Thank you for this uh, word. Lord, we pray you bless now our communion and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.